The Rami Zaid Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Rami Zaid Show, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. My guest today is Dr. John Baer. John, for the first 17 years of his career, was a professor at San Jose State. But as you'll hear in this conversation, that's when his career really took off. From San Jose State, John became an executive coach and is now known in the Bay Area as one of the best executive coaches for technology companies. He's been involved in companies like Apple, Nike, Twitter, just to name a few. But really, as we get into the conversation, John gets into topics for leaders like culture and leadership. John's also coming out with a new book soon called The Power of Insight. It's about a new kind of leader. Super, super exciting stuff. You can find John on LinkedIn at John Baird, B-A-I-R-D 2191. And I hope you all enjoy the show. John Baird, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rami. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I know your time is precious and there is so much, John, you know, in the research I was doing on you, your career, I think we could probably talk for a week, but I'm just excited to jump in here. I I do want to start with, you're so much into, call it the VC technology world now, but you started out as a professor, if I have that right. Yes, yes. I was at San Jose State, I think, for roughly 20 years. And, uh, you know, I actually started off, Rami, as an academic. I mean, I'm a really big believer in doing the coaching work and the work we do with organizations based upon good data and good research. So I've always been a, a leadership scholar in many ways. So, And we brought that to our practice of coaching with particularly my new firm, Velocity, of just using good data, good practices insights that are gained from research. And we can talk a little bit about that, but I I really value my time at the university. I'm on the tower board, which is the president's board at San Jose State currently. So I still stay connected with San Jose State. And was that something, John, I guess, John, growing up as a child, would you say, yes, I, I was going to go into academia? Was that something that was just in your gut growing up? Or, or I guess, how did you fall into that? Yeah, I always liked learning. I was just one of those people who read a lot and and just was asking lots of questions. And I like studying, <laughs> unlike a lot of my peers. I like reading and studying. So I think it was just there uh, all the way along. And it was just uh, interesting to look back on that and say how much, you know, really look at how much I enjoyed learning for sure. That's great. So we're going to to get into, um, you know, velocity that you you quickly mentioned, John. I, I am curious you know, you have a busy schedule. There's no doubt about that. But your morning routine, is there any routine whatsoever given you, you know, grew up in academia? I assume there's there's rules and regulations to, you know, the, the learning. But how, how do you start your day, John? Uh, well, that's a great question. And, you know, we ask our founders that we coach how they start their days as well, because how you start your day often, you know, really impacts just the way the day actually unfolds. You know, you have you have a mindset, right? If you get that right mindset around eating, uh, exercise, inspiration, wherever you get it, it makes a difference. So for me, it's always a, a trip to Starbucks. It's a cup of coffee. What's your order at Starbucks, John? 
it's a venti mocha, which I nurse all day long. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah, it is. It's a little bit of chocolate, a little bit. But you know, the reason I really enjoy there, and it's really hard with COVID, is I've been going to the same Princeton Plaza Starbucks forever. And I know all the people there. I've known the managers and Ginny is one of my favorite people there. And of course, with COVID, it's been hard. But for me, it's not just getting the coffee. It's also connecting with the people and their lives. So I enjoy that. And then I usually get home and then I usually try to get in 30 to 45 minutes of walking. I've always been an exerciser, a runner, but at my age right now in life, I just walk a lot. I walk fast. And then I usually come back and just sort of manage the day, look at what are the key priorities in the day? What's the one most important thing I want to accomplish in the day? Of the six things, which which meeting really has to go well? Which thing do I want to do? If I got nothing else done, right? What's the one thing? So I practice the one thing. And then I also like inspiration. I have a spiritual side to me. I like uh, reading things that inspire me. So that's probably the routine. And that's usually the first you know, uh, hour plus of the day. I get up very early. So, uh, and that's usually the routine. Sometimes I I have clients uh, across the world. So I have them in Mm -hmm. the UK, in Australia. And so sometimes I have early morning meetings to match their time. So it doesn't always fit. But in general, mm, I would say five out of the seven days a week, I'm pretty much there. On that walk, John, is that you keep the phone at the house and you're you're just you know mindless, or are you are you working and talking while you're walking? No, I'm not working during that time. Right? I might do a uh, podcast. I've been into Brene Brown, who's done lots of work on vulnerability, which we could actually talk about because it's one of those frameworks for leaders that I do. So I she has a podcast. I'll listen maybe to some of that. I like NPR a lot, getting news that's really um, a little more balanced. So I'll sometimes just listen to the news or I'll talk to my brother. I have a twin brother, Rami. You probably knew that, you knew that right? I did know that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Jeff and I are very close. So it's sometimes we'll just talk and listen and you know, connecting with close friends, not about work, but just about life is really painful for me at that time. Well, and I would like to think on your walk, John, your your one most important thing of the day today was this podcast. I'm just going to tell myself that. That's what you were thinking about. All day. <laughs> well, I actually did some prep on this. You never you know, you always have to go into these with some thoughts because you have some great little popcorn questions that I thought, oh, I need to think about that. Right. So, <laughs> so before Velocity, we will definitely get there. This is technically your second company post uh, professing at San Jose State. Can you tell us a little bit about the first? The first one was actually started on early work at Apple. So I took a leave of absence from San Jose State where Apple, I did some work for Apple and then Apple wanted me to sort of come and be there. So I actually took a, a leave. Apple just bought my whole package at San Jose State for a year. And that basically, Rami, changed my life. There's no question about it. I mean, it was just, it was at a time when uh, Steve Jobs was coming back from being away. It was the, you know, the iPod was sort of the thing, but they were getting ready for the iPhone. And then I started coaching in that space at that time. So, and that really caused me to believe that as I did that work, that I could actually establish a coaching firm. Mm-hmm. And why not start with Apple? Apple was still pretty big. It was coming back at the time. It was, you know, it had some really challenging times before Steve Jobs came back. So I just decided one of the biggest risks of my life to leave 
the university that I loved. I loved teaching there. I still miss the teaching and started Executive Edge with Michelle Bolton. And Michelle was also a professor at San Jose State, and she brought a really interesting dimension to the coaching. She just very, very, just, we just complement each other very, very well and started Executive Edge and mainly did coaching with larger companies. Just fast forward, we just did a lot of work with Apple. Nike was a big contract for three years, eBay, HP. We actually did coaching for pretty large companies at that time. And that's how Executive Edge started. And I had that company for almost uh, seven, 17 years, I think. Wow. Well, I mean, the client list is definitely a who's who's, John. And then I guess for the audience's sake, when you say coaching, if you don't mind, I guess, what does that coaching process work or, or what does it mean when you're saying you are coaching these executives? Well, there's so much to coaching, right? And coaching has evolved. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business now. It certainly wasn't that way when I first started with it. But I mean, our practice of coaching is with people who are scaling their companies, who are in these really top leadership roles. My client base are almost exclusively CEOs of startups and then executives in large companies. I'm still doing work at Apple. This is actually, Rami, my, this is my almost 30th year working at Apple since I did wow. absence. If you go way back. Wow. <laughs> And I'm still doing work there. It's still a very exciting uh, company. But the coaching process usually is is somebody who really has a felt need, right? The need is really to scale, to grow, to make their leadership better, to get more performance out of themselves, their teams. Now they're not 10 employees. Now they're 50. Now they're 100. It's like, how do I begin to lead? And most of the clients in Velocity at this particular point have never actually been in a leadership role. They've never been a CEO. So there's a lot of self-reflection that we start off with a couple of pieces. One is, uh, who are you as a person? What's your natural default? I know you probably think, Rami, a little bit about what your natural strengths are. uh, And we try to get people to leverage those. You want to start with what's core, what's really... And then you want to fill in the gaps because there are probably some gaps there. You may overuse some strengths, right? I call it overuse strengths. So we assess that through instruments. I use the Hogan a lot, which is a very deep personality inventory, which is wonderful to work with. All of the clients that I work with get that. We do a 360. I'm not sure if our uh, listeners know what that is, but you get feedback from board members, from peers, direct reports in general, so you, you get this mirror held up. So you look at yourself, you look at how others see you, and then we put a plan together and we work on those things that we should do more of, maximize those strengths, or let's work on some gaps, right? That will really make a difference in scaling the team or the culture. So it's an ongoing process, meeting two to three times a week. Most of my clients uh, with startups are on a 24-7 kind of a plan, which means they can literally call me, uh, you know, Rami, anytime they want, right? And with startup founders, they do it all the time. So coaching in the moment, and it just continues to go. And then you evaluate the coaching success, you work with their teams. And then now with uh, all the stuff around uh, equity, diversity, Black Lives Matter, there's so many issues around culture. And so we're also coaching those uh, dynamics as well. So when you go in, in that instance, John, man or a woman executive, I'm assuming that 
I mean, just given what you said, I mean, there is so much personal aspect that's involved with these executives that you are dipping into as well as their their business to make them a a better man or a woman executive. Mm -hmm. Is there a timeline that you put on the coaching experience for them or do you uh, expire, so to speak, or do you say, hey, you know what? we're done at this point, you got to move on from, from John and, and the coaching experience, or is it just an ongoing process for you? Well, most of the coaching is ongoing. I mean, there's a time in which you kind of say we're there. I'm really excited about the companies that I've been able to start with early and then have actually begun to take public. I mean, Marketo is a good example of that. When I started with Phil Fernandez, when he was in a different role, and then he started Marketo, and then I coached him well, in the first role. And then I coached him when he was CEO of Marketo. And then I continued to coach him when he took the company public. I love that. I love that sort of uh, opportunity to scale. I think one of my big strengths as a coach is my ability to meet the needs of the client and the organization in where they are. I mean, Executive Edge, we talked about that, Rami. It was large companies. These were more established executives. I started Velocity because I wanted to bring good practices of leadership, teams, and culture to startups. You know, start early with men and women that are leading these companies, right? Start early. It's like uh, children, if you, you know, if they have learning difficulties, whatever, if you start early and, and work on those things, you can really make a difference. And that's been the success of Velocity. So uh, it's been fascinating to see the the scaling happen with companies. And so sometimes you part ways after, although I had a CEO that I coached early stage, he sold his first company to Microsoft. And then he brought me back in three years later, three or four years later. And then he had a new company. That company was, I coached him and his whole team. They sold that one to Salesforce. And now I'm back coaching him with a brand new company. So over a, uh, I don't know. We go back, I think, over 10 years for sure. So, But there are times in which uh, they move on, um, things change, CEOs transition in a lot of ways. But our work right now is is pretty much 24-7. And most of our clients, uh, we just keep, it's a monthly uh, kind of retainer that we have. And they just stay with us because they're scaling. Many of them are about to go public as well. And that's a great segue, John. Let's, let's get into the now. So San Jose State Professor... You go into executive coaching for, call it, 17 years, and then you've kind of transitioned into what we've said a few times on the show already, Velocity. Can you tell the audience, you know, what is Velocity? What are you doing now? Right. We're really helping companies that are high flyers, that are really the the ones that the investors are really wanting to see be successful. We're coaching a lot of those companies that investors see as really having great potential to sort of move to that next level. And I think it's IPO for a lot of those, uh, those companies. And, you know, we're, we're getting those companies at stages where the coaching can be really valuable. What's exciting about coaching is that now the investors are kind of saying, we want to invest in you, but we want to, we want you also to have a coach. It didn't used to be that way. It's like the investors would kind of coach, try to coach everything. And they do a great job. Investors do in coaching, a lot of the things around the financial piece, the infrastructure, the uh, you know all, all the things that are really needed there. But the issues that they can't coach as well in are the stuff that just really makes a difference in organizations, scaling culture, scaling teams, retaining employees, 
leadership style with CEOs that either working or not working, right? It's like all these um, these dynamics that that can literally, I think, Rami, implode companies. You know, culture does uh, make a difference, right? And the leadership of those cultures, particularly nowadays, is so critical. So that we just play in that space. And they need us, actually, the investors do. So often they refer us. Our best referrals for Velocity are from uh, our investors, right, who just have seen us do the work, have valued the work that we've done before, and see the importance of just investing uh, in the growth of their CEO. So we work with a lot of firms that just value learning and development and growth for their leaders. It's not not, not just the money we're going to put into the company. We're going to invest in you through coaching. And so that's how Velocity was formed. I started the company really at a very good stage when there there wasn't as much startup coaching. It was happening, but not at the level that it is now. And we've really positioned ourselves nicely at this stage. And so, so you know, you hit something, John. We are in no doubt unprecedented times with with COVID, which is a, a global pandemic uh, to say to say the least. Yeah. But you've mentioned the word culture, and you're coaching these executives of technology uh, companies that, frankly, they may have one office, a hundred offices around the globe. People that office may have a culture in of itself, mm-hmm. but now everyone's at home. So, I mean, not only would I like you to speak to the importance of culture, but, you know, executive comes to you and says, John, you know, we've been hitting on this culture topic. Now what? Yeah. Would love your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, it's a good one. And we coach it a lot. I mean, it's communication and culture right now with, with COVID and with Zoom meetings. I mean, Zoom meetings are just really, really difficult all day long for a lot of the people that we coach, right? And so we try to help just mix it up a little bit, right? There's a couple things that are really interesting. Uh, I We wrote an article, I don't know whether, I think you got it, Rami, the one that was in Fast Company around extroverts. And so I'm, I'm coaching a CEO from a company that, that does culture surveys. It's called Culture Amp. And he's a very strong extrovert in terms of his style, et cetera. And, you know, he's learned a lot from the Zoom dynamic because you have to listen a lot more, which is really good for extroverts to listen and hear voices around the room. But he's also done this thing where uh, he does a little video every week. It's like uh, his video that comes out every Friday. And it's usually a no more than about 10 minutes, but it's very inspirational. And it actually focuses on what the organization is focused on what our key priorities need to be. If there's any pivots or shifts, here's what they are. He talks about his own challenges, very transparent, very honest. Uh, He has gotten tremendous feedback on that. I've actually suggested that to all of my uh, CEOs to do that. And it's interesting, you know, people look forward to seeing that once a week. It's also a diversion from the Zoom where the CEO is doing all hands in Zoom. So it's a video that's prepared and they really like hearing the focus and the priorities and where the North Star is for the company at this particular stage. The other thing, Rami, I would say is that, it, you know, it people are struggling a lot. I mean, there I have uh, CEOs who have young children at home. I know you have young children, right, Rami? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and the challenge of just, you know, their home learning, right? They're, and needing to help with that, right? And, you know, being able to take breaks from that. So I have a couple of companies that are really, that I've talked about in the articles we've written, that have actually uh, initiated a number of things that might be interesting to your listeners, right? One company 
Bombas, the sock company. You know the sock company? I do. Yes. Yeah. Do you use their socks? <laughs> so, uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, well, they have this uh, concept that they call library hours where they actually have a time in the week that nothing can happen. Like no emails, no Zoom meetings. It's a block of time just to escape, right? I'm not sure exactly uh, how Bombas, Bombas is one of our clients of Velocity, but but my partner has uh, Bombas as the client, but but it's a dedicated time to just disconnect, uh, et cetera. And it's really gotten lots of feedback. Their engagement survey data suggests that people love this. I have another company that uh, actually has what they call a, a healing and feeling week. And what they've done is um, they've, they've just given people a week off. And this is not part of their vacation. You just have to take your heal and feel week. And oh, that has made such a difference in just the response that people have. I mean, it's just that uh, we need to really be responsive to where people are. And those are a few things that really, really help. But culture is so critical right now, and we need to mix it up a bit. I tell people you need to always start a meeting by asking the question, how are you doing? How can I support you? And then spend five minutes listening. I call it, Rami, the five-minute listening wait rule. <laughs> so it's very hard for CEOs to do. For, you know, I time yourself for five minutes and ask nothing but what I would call more open questions like, uh, say more about that. Or, uh, boy, that sounds really difficult. I, that must be disappointing. That, that must be hard to manage that with both of you working at home. Um, do others feel the same way about it? Broaden the conversation. Hear the voices. Uh, show the support. Engagement survey data suggests that A, people are working harder than ever with COVID. B, uh, there's more stress and mental illness illness than ever before. And C, they're not managing sort of the home dynamic very well. It's like everybody's there together and it's like, oh my gosh, we're so close. We're not getting out. It's just, and they need their voices heard in a lot of ways. So sometimes letting them vent in a certain way. So they have a lot of companies doing this in very interesting ways. So, uh, gosh, we are coaching a lot around culture, communication, and managing how people are feeling. How then, John, with, we'll just keep picking on, on culture for a second. You're coaching your executives. They're going out to try and execute, frankly, what they want to execute is how I'm understanding it. But with some guidance on your end, yeah. are you getting direct feedback from them or the company on what's going on on the other side? Or are you having to wait until the executive himself or herself is telling you that? I guess where I'm going with that is, are they saying, hey, John, everything's going great. Don't worry about it. Or are you then, are you pivoting? You mentioned the 360 degree. Are you are you talking to CFO, COO and saying, hey, how are things really going uh, with the company? Well, that's a great question around coaches benchmarking uh, their metrics to success. We're a big company on our metrics. So we put together with our clients a development plan. And that development plan has not only the quantitative goals around the quarter, what needs to happen for the quarter. So we're also business coaches. I mean, while we talk about culture and some of the softer things around it, we're also, I'm also a business guy as well. I like knowing that this, I like taking companies public. I like seeing them do well. I like driving for results. And most of our CEOs are wired that way. That's their natural default. But the development plans may have things on it around the way they lead, the way they engage. 
we actually check that out. So we we might do a midterm check where I will actually interview confidentially the six people on the executive team. I probably have three check-ins I do over a, you know, six month, six to eight month period where I'm always holding up the mirror. This is going really well. There's change in this goal on our plan. People are not seeing any change here at all. And it, you, it, these are also uh, high learners and, and very ambitious, high growth individuals. So they want to do well. So when you hold up data that says this is not happening, people are not seeing change, that's powerful. I will also say that we use engagement survey data a lot. So one of the exciting things about startups is that they actually assess their culture a lot. There's lots of reasons for that. CultureAmp is one of the companies we work with, and they use uh, CultureAmp uh, surveys a lot for this. But we can actually correlate the coaching with the CEO and the leadership team that we're working with around engagement survey data. When people say, it's clear where we're going in this company. I feel valued from my point of view. I'm engaged in what's going on in the company. It's clear to me what our priorities really need to be as we go forward. All those things, right? There's a whole bunch of things to measure uh, an engagement of a company. Well, your coaching, that's a good benchmark for your coaching. I mean, if those numbers are low, that reflects the leadership of the organization. So we continually just use multiple data points, self-perception, perception of others, and then outside surveys. And if those align together, boy, you're really you're really tracking, and that's where you want to be. You know, I I want to flop from from culture to to leadership, John, because that's obviously something that you're gonna you dive into with these executives. But before I do that, I'm just thinking, you know, your your career thus far, professor to coach to now with velocity. I got to assume there's a few tipping points or memorable moments, but is there one, John, that sticks out so far in your career where you can point back and say, you know what, this was something that changed me, so to speak, changed me to do what I'm doing or my personality or the way I look at life, so to speak. You mentioned the spiritual aspect. Is there one or two moments that you can share? Yeah, I think so. There's so many moments, right? And it's it's just which one really stands out. When I had my first company, Executive Edge, Michelle and I did this retreat. I think it was back in Colorado with um, this husband and wife team. And it was really interesting. We were at a stage in which we were really thinking about how to evolve Executive Edge, what was next for the company, which is something we always need to think about it because you have to renew yourself and renew your company and all that. They did this thing, Rami, which was fascinating, right? In fact, I've used this uh, in my own coaching. They did this thing where they videotaped us separately. And they actually showed the videos of us. And they were they asked us questions like, you know, what, what are the things that turn you on the most with your coaching? What are the things that bring you joy to the work that you do? The joy question is a really big one. I ask it all the time to clients. You know, what is bringing joy in your, in your work? Well, long story short is that we we actually watched those videos and then they introduced this concept called lights on and lights off, right? There were certain things that because my nonverbal behavior, I looked down, I wasn't energized. It was like I, I was just, it was okay, but it was somewhat neutral. You can tell a lot, right, Rami, from where people are with their nonverbal things. And then they identified the lights on things, the things that I just like, Tone of voice was there. Uh, body language was there. Uh, eye contact was there. It was like, I just lit up, lights on. I was lights on about wanting to evolve 
just executive edge into more innovation, uh, more change, moving to a different level, working more at the top of organizations, and the notion of getting at clients earlier. I kind of got the the bug uh, from Velocity there when I got lights on about that. That was a real turning point. And at that point, Executive Edge was doing very well. I could have stayed with that company forever. Michelle was a wonderful partner, but I wasn't growing and changing, right? And I needed to do something. And I was already starting to work with startup companies. And I get lights on with startups. Why? I love innovation. I love change. I love the um, uncertainty of the environment. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just, we're just in constant chaos in the companies, but I actually like the chaos. I also really love working with young men and women founders. I just find them exciting. It keeps me young and dynamic in my own work. It's been very, so I use that concept a lot with, with my own clients. Like what's lights on for you? Or that feels really lights on for you. Or Boy, that sounds like a lights off. They they know that framework from me as a coach. I love that, Sean. I'm I'm writing that down as as you <laughs> say that. I love I love the lights on. I mean, you you know you mentioned kids. I, I have two fantastic kids. I know you have kids. You have grandkids, and you can use that in family too. Just watching what what lights your children on or grandchildren for that matter. Yes, for sure. So that was great. I I want to talk about leadership, John, which I think at the at the crux of everything you're doing, you're helping these leaders. And I can't imagine, I know you've been in the Silicon Valley working with executives a lot longer than, uh, than I have been around. But that said, I cannot imagine going back in history, a tougher time for a leader to uh, guide their technology team. And it's not just what's going on in the market, what's going on in the world, COVID. I mean, riots, <laughs> 2020 has been this slurry of just, crazy, crazy times. So would love kind of your feedback or give the audience feedback on challenges facing leaders, um, maybe some advice that, that you can give high level, but just your thoughts overall on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a very challenging time. It's also an opportunity time. I really feel that some of the best coaching I'm doing and some of the leaders are actually able to just push their coaching envelope further because they've got to act, be decisive, engage, tune into the culture. It's like we have this window where things need to happen. I find in some ways it's a bubble of coaching opportunity. And a couple of things. One, I find companies that I'm working with need to actually make some really intentional choices that we're going to go here, but not there. Oftentimes with COVID, what, what really happens because uncertainty and it forces and people are managing cash, right? In companies, right? Economic thing is really there as well. They have to make some really tough choices, choices that they really felt they should have made before, but it's really forcing them to say, it's this North Star. We're going to go here. We're going to put uh, emphasis on this product. That team is really not needed, but we do need to hire over here. A lot of the companies I'm working with are, you know, they, they've been blessed with some cash, right? It's never going to last forever, but it's really forcing them to prioritize and to engage in a different kind of way. So I find that. So strategy and execution becomes really important right now. And so I'm doing a lot of work in that area. I think that's one of the things that is really, really critical that I see. 
I also see you you never want to assume that your top level leadership team is okay with everything. You know, stay connected. Your one-on-one meetings mm-hmm. your direct reports become critical. Never assume that they're going to be on board because the market is still good for a lot of the companies we work with. Some of these folks are very well qualified, et cetera. So tune in. How are things working for them? Are they being challenged? Where are they growing? One of the things that we discover around our coaching is that people want to learn. They want feedback. So one of the things I would suggest to people that are listening is, are you giving honest and direct feedback? When we do surveys with uh, a lot of the people that report into our leaders, they often say, I don't get enough direct feedback. You know, I don't feel like I'm getting honest and I want to grow. These are people who want to grow and learn. So I often... You know, I, I have this little thing in giving feedback where I call the the three magic questions, right? In giving feedback. You should do this at least once a month or every other week, whatever. And the first one, you, you tell them, this is the thing I value most about you. This is working really well. Keep doing this. I can't emphasize the importance enough of affirmation. We're not getting enough affirmations. That comes out in the survey as well. So the first question is, what's working for you? The second one is, uh, here's the thing that keeps me up at night about your role, this job. Here's what I would like you to do more of or less of, if you could only. And you give that direct feedback. Or uh, for you to scale in this role, your biggest gap, you got to hire this 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 role, right? That's a big thing. I mean, for this quarter, it's this one thing. And then the third question, Rami, is the question that the CEO, he or she would ask to the person they're giving the feedback to. Tell me how I, as the leader, can support you better. Three questions are really amazing. So continue to give feedback, to assess, and then do your all-hands meetings when you bring everybody together in ways that are interesting, but focus on what we're doing, where we're going, inspire them in ways, tell stories. I'm a great believer in storytelling. And so young founders seem to have more challenges in the stories. Uh, they don't have as as many stories. They, they think they don't have as many stories, I should say, to tell somebody who's, you know, uh, has lived a little bit, has been in a role, maybe been a CEO before, but they do have many stories. Many stories are on how they founded the company. And so inspire them with their stories. So I'm getting them to do those in very interesting ways. So those are a few things that we're working on. Strategy, giving good feedback, Managing the culture through your all hands meetings, mixing it up, and spending time hearing people. Those are some of the main things. No, that's super valuable, John. I'm not, I can't really write fast enough on, on the words of wisdom that you're you're giving the audience here on on the call. That's really really good. I I mean, my first thought is you know who who's coaching you because these are just fantastic like words of wisdom. And I don't know if you know maybe part of your reading your podcast or just your experience in, in general, but this is really really. Good stuff, John. Well, you know, we all have coaches. I have, we, uh, Velocity now has a dozen coaches that we have, and we actually do coaching sessions. Edward Sullivan is uh, the CEO of Velocity. He's a wonderful uh, CEO of the company, and he's really engaged our coaches. And so we coach each other. We we talk about issues that we're having with clients and, you know, all in, in, of course, confidentiality, but it's been great. So I, I think it's like therapists. I mean, the best therapists are in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the best coaches are getting coached. I mean, if you're not learning and growing and being a little bit vulnerable yourself and saying, oh God, I kind of screwed that up. And ah, ah, I think I need to have that conversation about my sense of that. 
being vulnerable as a leader. I, I would highly recommend Brene Brown. Um, she's one of my favorites. And, you know, the power to lead is amazing. But uh, she is the number one sought after, uh, you know, business speaker from all of last year. And she's doing her podcast now. But I, I do love her concepts of vulnerability. Uh, leaders often don't, Rami, uh, feel like they can share that. It's like, you know, I'm going to be this uh, leader that's not going to say, I worry about this. Oh, my gosh. I mean, talk about the things you worry about or vulnerable. Have solutions. Be strong about where you're going. Be clear about the fact that here's a problem to solve. Here's how we're doing it. But name it. Name the problem to solve. Be vulnerable that that this keeps you up at night. Because when you do that, you engage people because they're also vulnerable and they're not doing well as well. And when you identify those things, you are connecting and you move them through inspiration. Vulnerability leads to good leadership and also inspiration as well. So with, with that said, when you go in on, on just call it new client uh, prospect, do you yourself believe anyone can be a good leader when you walk in the door or have you ever had the experience where you say, you know what, this man or woman just does not have it. I'm just curious as to your your thoughts on on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we certainly experience different levels of leadership. Some people come to the table with some natural instincts of leadership around all that. I mean, the book that Edward and I are writing, The Power of Insight, is around the fact that leadership is not just about doing, you know, showing up in the right way. Although there's a lot of that, the way you say things and how your presence and all that. Our thesis of this book is really about how people see things, right? And I think um, there's different ways to lead. I mean, Steve Jobs was not, you know, in traditional leadership theory, he didn't follow a lot of that. And yet people loved following him. He was a, he attracted talent. Those people stayed there. He stimulated thought. He, he really wanted to hear honest feedback about things. So there's different kinds of leaders. And so I, I don't go in with the idea that, I mean, even though there are models for things that work and don't work, I mean, Sometimes my initial impression is, oh, they really proved me wrong. They scaled that company. And I also find that I use this principle that that of the people we coach, 80% of who they are by the time we get them, they've already formed their companies, they've been recommended to us, is right. It's like it's 80% is good. It's like it's natural, right? It's the other 20%. And, you know, sometimes, Rami, it's the 20% that can make the difference in scaling the company, keeping people there. And if they can make an adjustment, I call it in the book I'm writing on this chapter called One Standard Deviation of Change, which is like this little, but a little bit of change in an area really important to the organization, to the culture, to the leadership team can actually scale the company. And so I will say that, you know, there's mixes of that, right? People, but I go in with the assumption that everybody that we work with wants to be there. Most people who meet us, first off, have said they want to coach, right? They have a growth mindset. They've indicated that they really want to be coached. And so that's a great place to start. Some of them struggle more than others, but that's why we're there as coaches. And so, yeah, no, it's a it's a mixed bag around what you get when you start. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's the personality. There's a, a very good, I love quotes, John, I really do. I, it was John Maxwell said uh, about leadership that the pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the leader adjusts the sails. And it's a little bit, you know, to yeah. to your point when you're stepping into those 
those leaders per se, they already have that 80% and they're just, they're adjusting the sales just very lightly, right? To the left, to the right. I love that quote. And you know, it's funny because when I think about one of my favorite quotes, it's interesting around this, right? It kind of fits this one, uh, Rami, in many ways, right? I know we didn't talk about this at all, but I mean, I have a lot of quotes I like from different people. But uh, Maya Angelou, you know, the the poet, right? She has this quote which I really, really like. It kind of it kind of describes my coaching, but it the quote is uh, again Maya Angelou: "Seek patience and passion in equal amounts," and that's interesting. And then she says, "Patience alone will not build the temple; passion alone will destroy the walls." I love that one because it really describes for me the importance of balance. I mean, you have to be who you are as a leader. And and I think the authenticity and leadership, there's no substitute for that. But I do think that we often fill in some of the gaps and the balance is right. You need patience, but you also need passion, one without the other. And so the yin and the yang, and oftentimes in coaching, we are trying to um, get the right balance without having the person lose who they are. If you're not authentic, uh, oh, you'll not go any place at all. But we can fill in some of those gaps to provide a little more balance in the style and the approach to the team or to the culture that can make a huge difference in leadership. I think that's what we're good at. Wow, that's great, John. I on leadership, there's been so many things thrown at individuals. I'll say just to begin, but you know, with the focus on leaders of technology companies, so many things thrown on leaders this year, COVID, uh, you were mentioning, uh, you know, home mood, mental health, uh, Black Lives Matter. Are there items, John, that maybe have stuck out this year or items, frankly, that you feel are coming down the pike that um, you are already pre-coaching these leaders on? Like, hey, you better get ready for X, Y, and Z. Just curious as to your thoughts there. Yeah. Well, certainly being able to think about, you know, when we come out of COVID, what the organization looks like. Are there certain things that will stay remote? I mean, we do, um, we are, most of the companies I work with are collaborative cultures and they miss the connection with people. So I think we'll be back to that. There's no substitute for a hug or just being able to connect with people, a handshake, whatever it might be that's appropriate in that relationship, right? I mean, people are missing that. Salespeople are missing that, right? Because they're so connected collaboratively with people in general. So I think that's really a big one. I think the other thing is that because diversity and inclusion is such a, a huge thing, we are, as a firm, we are, I think in another two weeks, we all, all of our coaches are going through uh, training around diversity and inclusion, right? Just so how we can begin to uh, not be silent when we see certain things happening in the room as coaches, right? Organizations, because of their diversity, I work with organizations that are very, very diverse. Black Lives Matter, uh, diversity matters. It's not enough just to say it's an important value. They want to see the companies doing something about it, acting around it, you know, a better pipeline for diversity, better, um, you know, representation on boards, right? gender and also ethnicity as well. So all this kind of stuff is really important. So I think getting, and and most of the um, leaders that we coach are white men and most of the board, most of the investors are white men and women. So there's a lot of issues there around it. And so there's much more opportunity here, I think, to get ahead of this. And so we want people to think about not just paying lip surface to inclusion and diversity, but to practice it to be it, to model it, 
and to see it in the systems, hiring systems, boards, all of that. So those are things very important to me personally and to Velocity. And, and in my own life, I'm doing certainly a lot of work on my own practice around that as well. So tell us a little bit, your book, you lightly mentioned that. I don't want to skirt past that, but tell us about the book and uh, what's going on there. It's very exciting to be writing about some things we've been experiencing for so long. I've been coaching a long time, Rami, and Edward uh, is just a wonderful coach around just the work that Velocity is doing, particularly with uh, new ventures, et cetera. And so it's a book for a new kind of leader, which I'm very excited about. We love the title, The Power of Insight. It's really a, a very fresh, different approach to looking at leadership, not just what leaders do, but how they see the world, right? And these narratives, these stories, these powerful stories in all these companies we work with, where they got an insight. Well, how did they get that insight that really changed the product, changed the world, changed the way? And so we have these stories. We call it, you know, the Hamilton thing, <laughs> being in the room where it happened. Yeah. Well, we've been in the room where it happened with a lot of really interesting companies and leaders. And so you're going to feel as though when you read the book, like you're being coached, you're in the room, gaining insights and practices and tools to be able to say, okay, that's how they gained insight around that and got there. So how do I do that? And so there's a lot of self-insight. There's a lot of insight around how others see you. So we, we kind of go with individual, how the team sort of plays in this and how the culture plays in this. So there's stories on all three dimensions of individual, team, and culture. And then the narratives, the stories will be, we hope, very compelling. Well, we're already into the stories and getting a lot of good feedback. Our publisher um, is very excited about the possibilities here. So anyway, it will come out in 2021, probably February or March of 2021. So we're right in the process of writing as we speak. Well, yeah, you'll have to let me know, John, when that is officially out, because I will grab that off the shelf. It sounds extremely interesting. Yes. I like to end the show usually with a, a few rapid fire kind of fun questions. And the first one, which is really just coming to mind, John, is <laughs> given your career, and, and I don't know where this answer is going to go, but if you could choose a completely different position profession right now, completely different from what you're doing, what would it be? Oh, that's so easy. It really is. It's so easy for me, right? I'd be a movie director. Really? Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. You know, I do these Christmas movies with the grandchildren. And so I'm a big uh, photographer, also videographer as well. I love getting the angles, the shots. I would be a movie director. <laughs> Interesting. So I'll dig in a little bit on that. What kind of films? Oh, I, they'd probably be they'd probably be horror films. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> the last Christmas movie we did was just a really it was just like very edgy. I mean, one of Naomi, one of our grandchildren, and Charlotte they they kind of wrote it, and it was uh, just the it was about this uh, this occurrence that happened down at the creek, and it's just this myth of Silas. This yeah, the whole thing was just. But I love the shots, the angles, the the mass we wore. I mean, I. You know, I don't know. I don't think it was a very good movie, <laughs> but, but I love the the production of and the kids love producing it as well. And so, yeah, no, it would be probably a, a horror film. Are you watching horror films at home or 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 working on this on the Oh yeah, I grew up on horror films. I mean, I just my grandchildren. That's one of the things that they just I expose them to these films, and I don't <laughs> I don't think their parents probably like it either. So. <laughs> oh no, that's fascinating. Next question. 
last meal. Let's say you you have your choice and this is the perfect meal setting, wherever that is, what is on the plate or plates? Uh, it's your last one. So uh, what would you put on that plate, John? Well, I started off with a gin and tonic for sure. Okay. All right. Good. Well, might as well. It's the last one. It probably would be a filet. I love, I love filets. I don't eat as much meat because I do watch a diet, but it, I do like it. I kind of grew up on it. I like asparagus a lot and I would probably have a baked potato with that. And then the right company, which would be Susan. Susan and I having a filet together with a G&T. That sounds like a good way. To oh, end. It sounds fantastic. You alluded earlier to uh, Maya Angelou on a quote. I just am thinking, is there, is there a quote that you would like to, you know, have the listeners leave with um, or, a, you know, one quote that kind of just sticks to you, John, that, that you just like to share with the audience? Yeah. Well, you know, because I've worked at Apple so long and Steve Jobs never really had a coach. He had a lot of mentors. So I never really coached Steve Jobs. I coached teams that uh, that worked in, you know, directly for Steve, et cetera. But I love, he has so many interesting quotes. I love his uh, quote around simplicity. I mean, Apple is a company that often comes a little bit late to improvements in technology, but when they do it, they do it really well and they do it simpler and easier. So his quote around simple can be harder than complex. So that the quote goes that way. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. I, I think this applies to everything. You know, how do you simplify where you're going as a company? What what does it boil down to? What's the one feature or thing that would make a difference? And can you communicate that in a way that is simple, that people can connect with in some way and be inspired by? You know, too often we have too many things. It's too complex in our messaging. I would just say, figure out, you know, what it is and communicate it in a simple way and make it compelling. I think that would be what I'd leave with. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, not only technology companies, John, but that's, that's a good life, you know, life quote as well. Right. Yeah. Well, John, this was fantastic. Um, is there anywhere, I know your book's coming out soon. Is there anywhere the audience can go to, to track that? Or I don't know, uh, you know, is it LinkedIn or Instagram or, or where to find you? I use Instagram just for personal stuff in general. Oh, okay. I think if you uh, want to find me on LinkedIn, all the articles that I made reference to are there on LinkedIn. So John Baird 2191 or John Baird at Velocity Group. So those would be places. And then the website for the book is the power of insight all together, altogether.com. So, and then you can find me through uh, Velocity, particularly Velocity Group at LinkedIn. But LinkedIn is where I do most of my publishing of articles and the things that I do, uh, et cetera. So you can find me there. I'd love to connect with any of the uh, listeners who have thoughts and reactions and feedback. I'd love feedback. Fantastic, John. Well, thank you so much. I know your time is extremely valuable and that's not overlooked on my end. And this was fantastic to say the least. Thanks so much, John. Good luck with uh, the book and everything you're doing for executives out there. Thank you, Rami. I really appreciate it. You had great questions and just really enjoyed the opportunity just to dialogue with you. It was a lot of fun for me. 